you can't watch a football game, a sporting event. In fact, you can't talk about many things in healthcare without talking about concussions and the impact of concussions on children, adults, and anybody who has head trauma is at risk. I'm here today on Primary Care Today with a very special guest, Dr. Don Liss. He's Senior Medical Director at Independence Blue Cross in Philadelphia, and he has a really interesting report, uh, basically results from a Blue Cross Blue Shield Association study looking at the steep rise in concussion diagnoses. One of the findings which really caught my attention was the concussions and diagnosis of concussions in the age group 10 to 19 have increased 87% from a rate of 14.6 per 1,000 in 2010 to 27.3% in 2015. And and you have an advantage, I think, Don, because you can look at members, you can see the data, and you can really try to get some evidence-based information here. Yeah, the some of the good parts of the study are that it looked at almost a million events, a million concussion diagnoses from claims information, and because it's from a comprehensive uh, set of claims data from the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, it includes our commercially insured membership across the country, in fact, in every zip code across the country. So it's a very comprehensive data set. That's the, that's the good side. The, the downside is that it, it is what it is. It's claims information. So all we know is that a claim was submitted and paid, and the diagnosis reported by the physician was concussion. We don't know anything more about, that, uh, about the case other than the fact that the, the examining physician reported concussion. Going a little bit further, while the, the, the data show that there's a tremendous increase between 2010 and 2015, almost double the, the rate, Pretty much all of the experts believe that there hasn't really been an increase in the number of concussive events, that pretty much all of this is thought to be related to uh, reporting bias. So the number of times that a parent brings a child to the attention of a medical professional after head trauma, uh, the number of times uh, a, a coach or a school district won't allow a kid back on the playing field after an event, uh, the sensitivity that the entire population has now to concerns over mild head trauma are undoubtedly leading to more medical evaluations where head trauma, fortunately usually relatively minor head trauma, is the is diagnosed. And, and again, the good news is that medical professionals and, and lay people are taking this much more seriously. And, and you're right. I think it, there's a lot of education out there. I know um, even the NFL right now, there's discussion as this season goes on about uh, viewing ratings and whether or not concussions are causing the decline in ratings, whether it's the change in the rules associated with concussions, whether it's the movie concussion. But there's definitely this impact of something that I would have to say 15 years ago. Most people would say, "Ah, oh, you know, you, you hit your head, boy, you got your bell rung, and you know, people went back to games, and that was happening at all levels. There has to be a positive side to this that young children, high school students, college students, you know, it's being recognized, and, and hopefully uh, the danger of repeated concussions is being prevented as well. Yeah, I, I almost feel bad for the orthopedic surgeons because now it's the neurologist who's the feature physician on the uh, NFL shows. That's right. That's right. Because they they have to do that, and usually there's a independent 
uh, you know, neurologist who gets involved. You know, this brings up a really interesting topic because, you know, we have a physician audience, healthcare provider audience. It's a real example of how you're able to start using data, in this case, insurance data. But what we're finding with electronic medical records is we're seeing more and more data from throughout the country where a lot of what we do as physicians is less anecdotal and more evidence-based. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit too, because just the mere fact we're having this discussion here and you're able to say 87% and then you're looking at the increase nationally, which might be it's about 71%, and you're able to break it down. These are numbers we really didn't have or weren't shared or just weren't uh, talked about as much probably 10 years ago. Absolutely. The the ability to capture this information in the ordinary course of, of what we do every day. Uh, in, in my world, it's about processing claims and abstracting clinical information from that data source. In practicing physician worlds, it's using their electronic health record to identify, discreetly identify the diagnoses they treat, the procedures they perform, the medications they prescribe, and then the use of big data that is compiling all of this data across numbers of, of different uh, reporting data sets and making sense out of it is, is clearly helping us gain insight so it's not anecdote and expert opinion. We can really look at case series uh, that are collected in, in typical community practice, uh, not in controlled clinical trials. We can use that information to glean all, all sorts of insight that otherwise we'd uh, we'd be making guesses. And I would think, and I mean, I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I'm speaking with Dr. Don Listen. He's a senior medical director at Independence Blue Cross. And for those of us who are listening who are national, Independence Blue Cross is based in Philadelphia. But you you get involved in the insurance industry as a physician. And there was a time when you had people, physicians working for hospitals, physicians in private practice, physicians in the insurance industry, all sorts of people kind of going at things from their own direction. With the changes in healthcare now, it's as if everyone is getting together and finally all sharing information, knowledge, the role. And I think as a physician at its very pure level, you must love that because you're now able to use claims data or other data and help doctors who are out there maybe working at the university, and they're able to give information to you to help the doctor in the private setting. It's starting to really come together probably the way it should have a long time ago. It is. So when we can have collaborative relationships with physicians and bring them information that they otherwise wouldn't have, wouldn't have known, for example, medications prescribed to their patients by other doctors, information about procedures and services that their patients may have received at hospitals that aren't part of the healthcare system with, with which they participate, uh, information about we, we have information about use of medications that may interact with other medications. Um, opiate prescribing is, is obviously a hot topic these days, and we can bring information about uh, prescriptions of which they they weren't aware previously. That that's a good day in my business when we can when we can provide such information, and likewise when we can glean information that's much deeper about a particular individual than we would know from claims records. So having information about the, the details of their cardiovascular status, for example, instead of just a, a diagnosis of congestive heart failure, 
so that we can understand a whole lot more about them and hopefully provide provide support, provide services that, that would help someone avoid hospitalization and uh, avoid complications that, that all of us are trying to avoid. You know, one of the things when we talk about concussion, and clearly it's not something you want to miss, you want to diagnose it, you want to get it right, but there are some risks associated with overdiagnosis that maybe uh, people might be overreacting. Even the physician's like, well, you know what, we'll just we'll just call this a concussion now because I have concerns. I really don't want to step over that line either. Maybe they're not getting the impact testing or whatever, and it's just kind of written down. I, I would think that can then impact physical activity, the, the child's relationship with friends, a lot of other things, especially in that 10 to 19 age group. Yeah, it's, it, it's always a balance. Um, I, I said earlier, uh, you can't get a concussion playing video games, but uh, there's, there's, there's other problems if you, if you limit a kid's activity to, to video games. Um, so we, we've got we've to avoid the sort of knee-jerk reaction to go too far the other way. Um, physical activity is important. Uh, a prudent, active, healthy lifestyle needs to be promoted. Um, can't wrap kids in, in, in a bubble. Uh, by the same token, need to be prudent in making sure that after a head injury, where there does appear to be some, some sequelae, that the child isn't instructed to shake it off and get back on the field. So we need to have a balance. Again, we're talking a little bit about data and using data. Where can we get in trouble with it? Like when, is, when do we get, even in this case or others, when we have too much data or we take too much out of it? Uh, in, in your career, and I know you deal with these numbers a lot, where have you seen where maybe assumptions have been made or errors have been made because you know, the numbers are telling you one thing, but they may not necessarily reflect reality? Well, some places where we, we run into trouble is when we, we sort of jump to conclusions. And we see, just like in clinical research, where we see associations, and we we make a leap and say, of course, that must be that must be causative. Um, sometimes we see that in uh, in, for example, in uh, certain drugs and adverse adverse events. Um, sometimes it very well may be causative, but other times it may just be because the population taking those drugs are more prone to the medical complications that we discover. Um, the, the place that, that uh, I deal with this issue, and, and probably not exactly where you were going, is when, I'm, when I find myself with uh, business colleagues who uh, see the information, who hear a story and want to jump to a conclusion, and my job is to explain to them, uh, not so fast. There's lots of reasons. Um, when, when we show them information about a constellation of findings and in individuals who are frequently hospitalized, they'll jump to the conclusion and say, we'll just fix those symptoms and they won't be hospitalized. We say, not so fast. Uh, when somebody has congestive heart failure or complicated cardiovascular disease or, or cancer with, uh, with complications, um, any one given, any one given circumstances, usually not the, not, not the, not the answer. It's usually a, a, a series of events that happen that happen together, and we need to keep that in mind. So, in my world, the, the biggest risk is jumping to conclusions. You know, it's really interesting you talk about that because I'm um, I'm involved in not only seeing patients, but I'm involved obviously in my roles as CMIO and looking at electronic records and how we use them. And so, I talk to doctors and. 
many of them will say, you know, you you know, you talk about the readmit rate for congestive heart failure at 30 days, and but you know, you don't understand how difficult it is to get patients to take their medicine or not eat potato chips or not do this. And, you know, why, why isn't there more of an understanding? And, you know, you hear that, or you will hear another uh, argument, which is often uh, something's being measured on um, how well they do with their hemoglobin A1Cs for diabetes or whatever. And they're like, well, I don't have patients who are eating the proper diets because they can't afford the proper foods. And, and, you know, and there's all these social determinants of health that are out there. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at there. There are numbers, but then there's also, situations that lead to those numbers that I guess show that we have to get more of a, a total approach to care at all levels, whether it's with social workers and dietitians and physicians and nurses and home nurses, we have to kind of get the whole act together uh, and not just look at one thing. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I'm often humbled by the, 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 the fact that my intervention may be a whole lot less important than that, that of a social worker or a Home, home care nurse who, uh, who who's much more able to address a very fundamental problem in someone's life. Yeah, I find I'm amazed, uh, you know, how many years I practiced not thinking about those things. I get frustrated, you know, like I really didn't, I mean, as a family doctor, you, you, you think about a lot of things, but there were just so many issues that really never came to mind. And we didn't think about it, how much better care we could have got, we could have done with that. And I think now the struggle, of course, is building a practice where you can have all those components at play and find a way uh, to pay for it, to get the patient what they need. And, and there, there's unique challenges because it, it, in a way it's reinventing the system. It is. What do you see as the biggest challenge uh, with data like this or in your role going forward? Now that you know, for instance, it's great to see a study like this come out and when we're going to be getting more in different areas, what do you see as the biggest challenge in releasing information and getting it to make a difference in healthcare? Well, so a couple things. One is it, we pat ourselves on the back when we publish a study and we say, isn't this great? But unless it, it gets into the hands of people that can, can actually make use of it, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, do, we didn't do much good. Um, in, in this case, specifically around concussion, it just simply sort of socializing it, making it an acceptable condition to be diagnosed, identifying that there are incredibly disparate rates of reporting concussion in different parts of the country. And by the way, no reason to think that there's any more or less head trauma in different parts of the country. Um, that, that, that's probably a good thing. Uh, it, it turns out that the rate of, again, in this example of concussion reported in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania was higher than, than anywhere else in the country. Um, I'm pretty confident that there's just as many football injuries in Texas and Oklahoma and California, as there are in in the Northeast, um, yet it seems that it's it's reported less. My fear is that coaches and parents and even physicians are less comfortable recognizing it, acknowledging it, and treating it, or making sure that the children aren't exposed to repeat head trauma. We've done similar reports around the the use of of certain procedures. We we published a similar report around C-section rates, again, that shows variations that, that don't seem to be warranted, um, clearly related to local medical practice. Dr. Donlis, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today. It was really a fascinating topic, and the time went really fast. I appreciate your taking the time to join us. My pleasure. 
This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash Primary Care Today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thank you for listening and being a part of the knowledge.